Yo, yo. I might not edit that out. Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast, Season 3. Today we're talking to Adam Wathen, author, video maker, teacher of the things, power lifter. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the Laravel Podcast, Season 3. Uh, this is the version of the Laravel podcast where we get to know less about tech and more about the people behind the tech. And today, my guest is none other than Adam Wathen, who has taught us all about testing, collections, view, components, and many other things. What Adam, One of the things I love about Adam is that he's never satisfied with what's happening around him, and he's always taking in stuff from other places. And we'll talk about this more probably later in the podcast, but when I describe Adam to other people, I say he's the guy who basically finds what's good everywhere else and brings it to, to us in the Laravel world. So if you haven't heard of Adam, uh, my mind is blown. You should go consume everything he's ever made. It's all it's all gold. I will say to to some of y'all that his name is pronounced Wathen, right? That's that's right, right? Yeah, you got it. Not not Wathen, not Wathen. Uh, I'm trying to think about the other things I've heard, but Adam Wathen. So Adam, say hi to the people. And the the first question I always ask ask everybody is when you meet somebody in the grocery store, how do you how do you introduce yourself? How do you tell them what you do? Cool. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm Adam. Um, I usually explain it depends what people ask like some people ask like what do you do i say i'm a software developer although mm-hmm. i don't actually get paid to write code i get paid to teach people about code yeah um so i either describe myself as you know a software developer who creates uh courses and ebooks and, and training products for other software developers who are looking to kind of level up uh, so that's kind of the sh- the shortest version that i try and give to people that usually is enough that they kind of either are interested in it and ask me more questions or aren't interested and uh, don't want to hear anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm already going to cheat a little bit because I want to ask one little thing about your motivation that I've been curious about for a while. Uh, And hopefully they'll still come out when we talk about your background. But you are, you know, you're a really smart guy. You learn a lot of stuff, but you're also a teacher and you also have like uh, marketing kind of like sensi- sensibility. Like you just gave an uh, elevator pitch that would make someone who doesn't even understand programming want to go sign up for your product. And I don't think that that's really common for a lot of us to know how to talk about it that well. So, and if this is going to come out later, that's cool. But do you have a sense for where your ability to kind of understand how to market something and how to, and I, you, you talk a lot about how to do it in a non-skeezy way, but where, where did that come from? Is that something you've had to, to work on or do you feel like you've got to something some experience that's kind of taught you that that's a good question i don't think i have a great answer for it i think um i've always just really liked creating things that i was proud of and putting them out into the world with enthusiasm and i think that's been my kind of like the simplest version of how Mm -hmm. i've always tried to share what i've been working on and then i think with the the marketing stuff too like i guess i just care just as much about the quality of that as I do about everything I do. Like, I just really like to make mm-hmm. everything I do as good as I possibly can. And that comes down to uh, even things like, you know, landing pages and how yeah. things look on stuff like that. I like, to me, the marketing is a product too. And I want it to be, I want mm. it to be good and I want to be proud of it. So it's just something that I just put a lot of effort into, I guess yeah. the same way I would with, uh, with something else. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I tell this story to people all the time, but when you first joined Titan, one of the things we were talking about was working on some open source projects together, and we immediately found a conflict in our ways of working where I was like, so what I do with this thing symposium is I figure out a feature, and I spit out the feature as fast as possible, and then I move on to the next feature. And you're like, what I do is I try to figure out exactly the best way to do this feature and I ponder on it and I make plans and I make diagrams and I get it exactly right so people will really get their needs met and then only then do I actually build out the feature and like we kind of had this like little headbutt moment and I think that I've kind of I wouldn't say I've shifted to your way of thinking but I've been influenced by it a lot do you have a sense for where your kind of desire for excellence that thing you're just talking about like where that comes from is that just a personality trait is that something from your family and what's that Where's that come from? I think it's just a personality trait. I've been like that with basically everything that I've ever been interested in my entire life. Like I would sit and play guitar and play the exact same seven notes for four hours straight <laughs> until I played them perfectly. You know what I mean? So I think I just get a little bit uh, obsessive over the sorts of things that yeah. I get interested in. Yeah, I just want to get really good at it. All right, well, we'll, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll dip into this stuff a little bit more, but I do want to make sure that I actually have the space for your backstory. So... First, second question I always ask everybody is, where was it that you first, or what was the context in which you first had um, interactions with the computer? How old were you and kind of what was your interaction like at that point? Yeah, so I have sort of conflicting memories for a lot of some of this stuff. Not necessarily conflicting, but sometimes I have a hard time figuring out like what the timeline was. But some of my Mm -hmm. earliest memories of working with computers, probably the earliest one that I can think of is um, when I was in grade, it must have been grade probably grade two, maybe grade three. Uh, but we had, I, I had this librarian at my school who worked mm-hmm. with like some of the gifted kids to do little projects and stuff. And me and him were working on this super old Mac that we had at the, it was new at the time, I'm sure. Right. But like my memory right, of right. it's like the old school yeah. Mac <laughs> where everything's black and white and stuff like that. Yeah. I uh, using HyperCard uh, to make yeah. like this little project. We went around and, uh, it was actually pretty cool. We got to like drive around the neighborhood and I got to like ask questions like different business owners about things. And we put together this like little presentation in HyperCard. And that's probably like my earliest memory of of working with nice. a computer. And we got a computer in my family when I was pretty young too, probably probably like grade five, grade four, grade five. It was just like a kind of your stand. It was like an Acer or Compaq PC or something yeah, yeah, yeah. with four megs of RAM and you know, yeah. uh, I, I can't even think a 500 megabyte hard drive. And right. then we got like our yeah, 486 internet or a couple like of years later. Yeah, as a 486. And yeah. And uh, I used to dick around on that, you know, looking up <laughs> game tutorials for my Sega Genesis at gamefacts.com and stuff like what's, that. What's the best the game on the, on the Genesis? What's your favorite? Do you remember? Favorite Genesis game? I I used to play the hockey games a lot. That was probably Uh what I got um, the most fun out of. Just the funny thing is, like, I'm not super into hockey, but those were just the most fun, uh, like, multiplayer games that you could play. Yeah, that and like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah, of course, all all the classics. I didn't do much of the single player stuff. Uh, Just mostly hanging out with friends and playing. No Sonic and Knuckles or anything like that. I did play Sonic, but I wouldn't say like I have, you know nostalgic memories about how right. much i love that game or whatever it's a fun game but yeah sure <laughs> yeah i feel like not not a lot of people have the same level of memories of sonic as they did at mario it just never quite no mario definitely has a more special place in people's hearts i think yeah 
So, yeah. so I was, um, I, you actually got into this a little bit, but my next question was going to be kind of what was your first exposure to the internet? So was that, was that primarily it, at least at the start? It, it was, I'm not sure if it would have been at school or at home, but yeah, it would have been most of the time that I spent on the internet would have been at my home desktop computer on our 14.4 connection yes, that we used to use. Motive, so, yeah. yeah. So when you were in middle school and high school, what did, what do you think you wanted to do with your life? Did you know? I had I had some conflicting thoughts. So at one point, I um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cartoonist. That was my dream, actually. I had and I no used idea. to draw all the time. And I used to like, you know, how you'd have like the book fairs at school. I don't know if you had yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, Scholastic. The we had the them Scholastic here. book yeah. fairs. Yeah. I'd always be ordering like the how to draw this or the how to draw yeah. that books. And uh, I never got really good at it, but it was it was fun. And then eventually I got into like playing guitar and stuff like that. And I wanted to be like a, an audio engineer, but I also wanted to be a programmer. Mm -hmm. And um, I really liked my programming classes in high school. Uh, so I ended up going to university uh, for computer science. But I also considered going to college for uh, music industry arts, which is a okay. program that actually Steve Sugar, who some people might know, actually did go to at the college. That oh, I was he did. To go to. Huh. But I decided against it because it just didn't seem like the profitable career path so eventually chose yeah, for sure. uh, computer science so you had you had programming classes in high school was this java or c++ or what kind of stuff are you guys doing there let me think so i think we i don't think we had computer programming classes till like grade 10 and we did a lot of like pascal and mm -hmm. we did c and we did java and then we had like a web one which was later okay. which was kind of weird because the the java stuff was even the java stuff like isn't when i think back to the fact that we did java in high school i don't remember doing any of the stuff that i know about java now like i didn't really <laughs> i didn't know what object-oriented programming was when i came uh -huh. out of high school even though java is an object-oriented language we just would write procedural code in like our main java, dot, yeah. <laughs> uh, java file or whatever right yeah. and, and stuff like that um but yeah what made you choose those um, those classes? I think I just thought it was really fun to be able to make the computer do stuff. Yeah. So I remember like one of my earliest memories of programming actually is when I was a kid, I was like super obsessed with pro wrestling. That was like my thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I used to download all these like wrestling simulators. So you could like, it's so funny because they weren't, they're not like games, right? They're like, you create characters you like choose their move sets you give them the statistics and stuff and then you like run simulations and it'll like spit right. out like text that's like this guy punched this guy then this guy power right and you're guy, not actually this... controlling what they did no right? no no it's just a computer yeah. simulation based on random it's events as well as like you know the, the statistics and attributes uh -huh. of, of the different wrestlers so there's a couple different programs that you could use to do that and i was always looking for different ones to test them out and then one day i stumbled upon a tutorial online that was like make your own wrestling simulator in q basic oh nice I was like, basic okay. yes and that was my first exposure to q basic i followed this tutorial and got everything set up and i didn't know how to like do random stuff or anything like right. that so i never got very far with it it was all just very like <laughs> It was not like conditional logic or anything. You know what I mean? It was just do this, like this, take this. Input I couldn't figure input, out how to input. make it do exactly what the other things were doing, but I could make the computer do stuff. And that yeah. kind of got me interested in the whole QBasic programming stuff. And then I just started looking into more like QBasic tutorials and finding out stuff mm -hmm. that you could do. And I remember getting really into, I don't think I'll ever remember the actual name of it. I found a site that I think might've been it, which was Pete's QBasic tutorials. 
which I don't know if that was the mm-hmm. site for sure, but some of the content looked really familiar. But it had lots of tutorials on like making like tile scrolling RPG engines in QBasic and stuff what? where you could create like little sprite characters and you'd make these like 20 pixel by 20 pixel squares yeah. and and lay them all out and make it scroll as you use the keyboard and stuff like that. So one summer I had this dream of making an RPG which of course never even remotely happened but I had yeah. a lot of fun just hacking around on the computer getting it to huh. render this stuff and and do stuff like that. So I think that's where I really got excited about uh, programming because hmm. I don't know if I have like a specific passion for programming more than anything else, but it was just like a really perfect kind of platform for just doing creative things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And making yeah. stuff. It's the most like powerful tool for just like making interesting things that I know of so far. Right. Yeah. So I think that's what kind of, kind of got me into that. So I did a bunch of QBasic stuff, messing around with that, and eventually started making my own little websites on GeoCities mm-hmm. and AngelFire and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, kind of been doing that ever since. So Yeah, I was thinking about how creation was definitely a trend for you. I mean, between music creation, you know, as a guitarist and music production, you know, and, and the art and everything like this, it's, there's, it's wanting to make things happen and figure out what the tools are. So it's, yeah. it's interesting hearing you say, you know, it's the most powerful tool that you can use for that. Yeah. So, hmm. Do you have any of your, do you ever draw still? No, not at all. Do you, do you have any of your own, own old drawings anywhere? Uh, I might. I actually, my parents just sold their house and gave me a big box of like crap lying around. That you got to find now. something. I think man. there's a couple sketchbooks in there, so I should maybe that would be amazing. dig through those. Please. Okay, so you went off to school for computer science, mm-hmm. and did you have a sense, uh, did you have any shifts during school with what kind of aspect of CS that you were interested in, or or if, what? and, and yes or no, what did you think you were going to do afterwards? Yeah, so I actually only went to university for a single semester. Uh, so I did the first semester, a bunch of the classes I did find fun, like the ones that were direct programming, so we had like a C class where... Mm-hmm. we'd basically get these weekly kind of projects that we had to work on where you just have to go through a bunch of problems and get the computer to do that stuff. And that was the stuff that I was really interested in and really excited yeah. about. But then we also had classes that weren't as interesting, like digital fundamentals and, and yeah, yeah. stuff related to more like computer engineering sides of stuff, which is interesting, but it didn't like get me excited and like want to work on it It, that that stuff was like a chore and at the time i was also playing in a band and we that was like all i wanted to do like we were playing shows and recording demos and stuff like that so the computer stuff was not really a big focus for me at the time and i was commuting to school which was about a 45 minute drive away living at home so i didn't really get like embedded into the sort of university community that was there. So I didn't really like make any friends or meet anyone. I was only there for classes and that was it. So it was really hard for me to sort of, you know, become a university student. That was like this thing on the side. It felt like from like the rest of my life where my friends were and my hobbies were and stuff like that. So I only stuck with that for a single semester and then dropped out to just basically work full-time while I reconsidered what I wanted to do because it just Mm -hmm. I just wasn't enjoying university and I don't think it was the programming that I wasn't enjoying it was just the the educational side of it and having to get pulled away from the things that I was actually excited about to work on that so 
I don't remember what the original question was, but that's kind of that story. <laughs> well, no, and, and that's actually perfect. Um, and before I, I move on from that, I want to ask one question, which is, was the distinction between like doing versus like learning abstract theory, was it about con how concrete something was that was the difference between what you did and didn't like, or did I kind of miss that a little bit? No, I think that's true. I, th I think um, the other thing is there's just a lot of classes that you have to take in university that aren't as, they're not all really like cohesive you know what i mean mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. I, I don't know what the system is like in the u.s but in canada we have university and college which i think is kind of like college and community college in the u.s i think so yeah but the way that you pick your classes and stuff a lot of it is you have to you have to go into the school and you have to go and sign up for different classes and you have different requirements you have to get credits and and different mm -hmm. things but a lot of it is kind of up to you and they don't really put together like a cohesive curriculum so i had to have yep. x math credits x elective credits so i took like this like history of music class, which is the only yeah. class I've ever failed in school in my entire oh life. My God. And you would think that I, just because it's so damn boring. Right. And I yeah. just like, yeah. couldn't get into it at all. Um, yeah. but everything was just kind of like disconnected. There's like some math over here, some physics over here. And, and because at the early stages of things, it's kind of like when you're in like first year of high school or something, they're just trying to teach you all these fundamental Basics, concepts yep. without kind of tying them back to like the goal that you're trying to get into. And yep. um, I ended up going back to college years later, which we can talk about maybe a little bit later where the curriculum was much more cohesive and everything is mm -hmm. sort of designed to teach you to be a programmer. And I really yeah. liked that experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is just the fact that there was only like one class that I actually liked, which was the programming mm -hmm. class and everything else just felt like high school all over again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally hear that. I mean, there's a lot of conversations happening these days and I'll wait to go into them until we talk more about your later school experience, but around trade school versus university versus mm -hmm. whatever else. And what are the pros and cons of each? And I think a lot of it, you know, one of the things I've came to come down to recently is that I'm always been, I've always been a pro university person with lots of caveats. And one of them is just like, the school you're at really makes a big difference and the classes yeah. you take and the professors you have, you know, there's a lot of factors that can give you a very, very, very varied experience, even in the same type of program and the same type of school. So, so where'd you go from there? You said you, you kind of were reconsidering your work in full time. You were recording with your band and were you doing yeah. any touring at that point too? No, we never got successful enough to do anything interesting like that. I was local shows yeah. and stuff, but um, yeah, so I was just working like crappy, factory jobs basically i, th I think i'm trying yeah. to think what was the first job that i got after i left university i have to try and reconstruct the timeline but the one i remember most specifically was working for a company where i was basically just in a factory building really high-end like antique looking stoves huh. <laughs> so i did that for for like a year while i still played in bands and, and did stuff like that and then eventually um a friend of mine was working up in the Alberta oil sands, like way up north, uh, where they have all these construction projects to extract all the oil out of the sand and sell it all over the world. And mm -hmm. um, his dad actually ran the site up there, so he had a lot of pull. And one yeah. day he just called me, and he was like, hey, do you want a job up here? And I was like, <laughs> sure. He's like, someone's going to call you tomorrow and offer you a job. <laughs> and I didn't know what <laughs> it was awesome. going to be. Like, I'd yeah. never seen the job description or anything, but this is just this guy's kind of style. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I ended up working up there for, for two years doing, like, basically data entry stuff for the materials yeah. team. So I worked in an office in the, fr in the frigid cold in Fort McMurray where it's, like, minus 50 degrees Celsius in the winters. Um, our offices are these little portable trailers on the construction site. And I was just mm -hmm. there basically in Excel 
reconciling like purchase orders and invoices and making sure that you know we received the materials that we had paid for and that all uh-huh. that's just a bunch of really kind of monotonous data entry stuff but for being yeah. like a 20 year old kid it paid really well and did that for like two years until kind of the that whole industry and economy started to kind of suffer a little bit more because gas prices and oil prices dropped and they did a bunch of big layoffs which was a so i got laid off which was like a blessing in disguise really because i know a lot of people that basically just stayed up there forever because you can never get paid the same thing to come home and i would work up there for 14 days straight 10 hours a day and then they would fly you back to where you lived for seven days off so i was constantly flying back and forth which just made it really hard to have like a normal life, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got laid off from that, came home, decided I would use that chance to try and get into like the recording stuff. Cause I was getting into recording a lot when I was up there and doing it when mm-hmm. I was coming home, just as kind of a hobby. But I thought, why don't I try and like find some bands that I can record and like yeah. mix EPs for them and stuff. So I did that for like a year, which is a dumb industry to get into because bands don't have money, especially local yep. bands. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't true. make a lot of money doing that. Uh, yeah. But what I found is while I was doing that, I was using this tool called Reaper, which I still use to edit my podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I found that there was a bunch of features that I wished it had that it didn't have. And it's created by the guy who created Winamp originally. And it's like a very hacker friendly tool. So it, it lets mm-hmm. you like, extend it with python or c or lua now as well so you can wow. write all these sorts of like plugins and extensions for it and the api that they give you to do that stuff is like very powerful you can access basically everything mm-hmm. in the tool and write your own menu options and dialog boxes and all sorts of features and stuff so i started getting into like hacking around with that doing really simple things and then one of the guys in the uh, the irc chat mm-hmm. for the the software kind of like this elite group of people who were like hacking on stuff there. Yeah. I made this thing using Python and he was like, you should, uh, you should port this to C so we can include it in this big extension that they maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I'd love to do that. I just don't have any idea how. And he's like, well, okay, well I'll, yeah. I'll help you. So for the next little while he would kind of like, he kind of put together like a playground in this extension source code for me to like write my features in and help me figure out how to get xcode compiling it and all this different stuff and that's when i kind of really like reignited my excitement and passion for programming because i was just having so much fun adding features to this tool making it easier for me to do my work to the point where i was having way more fun (laughs) adding features to the tool than i was actually using the tool to record bands Yeah, And I didn't even get back into web development or anything at that point. Like I, I hadn't made a website since like high school. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided, you know what? I think I'm going to go back to college and do this yeah. programming thing again. But I decided to do college instead of university, uh, specifically because I knew like what I didn't like about university. And I went to do something that was yeah. a lot more uh, practical and like mm-hmm. focused on making you into a programmer than it was, you know, educating you about computer science. So... I was I had been meaning to ask, and that's that's helpful. It sounds does does are you familiar with the concept of a trade school? Yeah, like where you would go to learn to become like an electrician or something like that. Yeah, that's not the same thing, right? You're more talking about it's a school, but it's more like single focus, sort of like our community colleges. Like I was wondering whether college is like a little bit different than community colleges, or if it's just the yeah, same. I'm not sure. So like, um, 
the, the college that I went to is been. Conestoga College. I'm going to pull up like the website now. But uh, basically here, college programs are usually two-year programs and you get a diploma. And university are four yeah. years and you get a degree. That's kind of okay. like the, the fundamental uh, difference. So I'm going to try and pull up like the actual program that I did here so I can kind of talk See a little bit about the actual the actual like curriculum because i think it's kind of yeah. interesting and while you do that this is definitely similar to community college it, it literally even in the google preview says your uh community ontario ontario community college and this yeah. is definitely not not trade school definitely community college so that makes sense yeah so so i did the the software engineering program there and uh, not the computer programmer course okay. which which uh, i i got kind of turned on to that by asking around to friends who had who had gone to the school to kind of figure mm -hmm. out like you know what are you su supposed to do uh, but if you look at like the actual program courses here we can maybe like link to this in the yeah, show notes if people are interested yeah. but like in the first year we had classes like software engineering fundamentals operating system fundamentals c c++ programming computer security object-oriented programming this some of this has changed yeah. But then in year two, we did like web design and development, relational databases, windows and mobile programming, microprocessors and embedded systems, software quality. So like in school, we learned about automated testing, which is pretty cool. Nice. You never learn that in, in university. Yeah. Um, advanced computer security, mobile application development. Yeah. So it was it was just like all programming. Every class was programming, but it was just focused yeah. around you know, some different kind of element of it using uh, different technologies and stuff like that. So the nice thing about that is that college is really close to my house. And um, unlike university where the schedule is like really weird, sometimes I'd go to a three hour lecture and then have seven hours off and then have to go back yep. in the night for a one hour class. Like this is just so structured so much similar to high school you know what i mean like you get there in the morning you leave in the afternoon so you're yeah. there for a long period of time you get to like meet people you get put on projects with people and i really huh. got into the into what i was doing there in terms of like i made a lot of friends you know that kind of became like my focus which was which was i think what made me not stick it out in university it was just like such mm -hmm. a side project whereas yep. i was able to really sort of like embed myself into the what we were doing uh, in this program so that's yeah, really that went really well for me. So I did that for two years. It's a three-year program, but the way they do it is kind of weird. They have, um, it's like three years with co-op. I don't know if people use that term in the U.S. It's kind of like an internship, so. like paid internship. Okay, um, So yeah. they do like two years of schooling. And then yeah. for 18 months, you go out into the, the workforce. There's like four work terms across those 18 months, I think, something like that. Mm -hmm. And some people do them all at the same company. Some people do four different ones. Some people split it yeah. up, however. Uh, but you get paid to do that, which is pretty cool, like 18 bucks an hour or more, depending on Jeez, uh, who the employer yeah. is. And um, then once you're done that kind of co-op internship stuff, you go back and do your third year of schooling, and then you get your diploma, and then you're done. Oh, so I just did cool. the first two years, and then I did my co-op at Vehicle, who were called Chrome Media at the time. Huh. And uh, I think I was like the only person to apply for that job, because everyone else was trying to get a job at Desire to Learn, which is... Uh, a company that makes like education student management software and it's all uh -huh. in C sharp and windows stuff. And that's what they teach us in school. So that's Got what it. everyone was excited about. And th they were kind of like the cool hip company in the area, but I was like the only kid in my class that used a, a Mac. So 
doing the Windows stuff was painful for me. I had to like boot up a VM and do stuff like that. So yeah. even with all our projects that we did in school, I was I was always trying to find technologies that I could work with easier on my Mac. Because we had a lot of like web-based yeah. projects, even though we didn't have a lot of web-specific courses. But in the later years, we'd have like a project that was a two-month project and you could choose the technology, which was cool. So some people did C-sharp, some people did whatever. Yeah, I chose PHP because that was the only programming language I knew of that you could do dynamic stuff on the server. Like at the time, I didn't know like, oh, you could use Ruby to do that or right, Java right. or any of these other languages. I just knew from like, trying to create PHP scripts that could accept form submissions when I was 16 years old, that like PHP was the language that you do yeah. used to do stuff on the server. <laughs> so I started like looking into, you know, tools for PHP that could compare with like MVC, uh, ASP or sorry, MVC. like C sharp MVC. Yeah. That like framework. And I found like code igniter and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so we started messing around with, with those sorts of things. And I was lucky enough to find a, a handful of people that wanted to work on those technologies with me instead of doing the C sharp stuff. And they were all pretty bright people. So uh, we did a bunch of, a bunch of projects using that stuff. And then when it came time to, to look for co-op opportunities, I, I applied to desire to learn and they mm-hmm. never got back to me, which is great because if they had, and I had gotten a job there, I'd probably still be a C sharp developer now. Yeah, Instead, yeah. I saw this tiny little company that was only three people at the time <laughs> that was doing like Magento sites and some custom app development in PHP. And huh. I was like, you know what? I'll apply for that. And, uh, I ended up being like the only person in my class who applied there. And that ended up being like the, the best way it could have ever possibly worked out because, yeah. you know, I met some really cool talented people there that really helped me get my career to where it is now, encouraged me to speak at user groups and, and get involved in open source and stuff like that. So um, awesome. after I, I, I went and worked there, I did my whole kind of uh, internship co-op stuff there. And I just never went back to school because <laughs> I <laughs> had a mortgage and stuff like that. I was like 26 at the time or 25, 26. And I couldn't really afford to like not get paid for another year going back to, to school. Yeah. And the whole point of going to school was to be able to get a job. And now I had a job. And I even if I wanted to leave there, well, I had a job doing programming for a living on my resume now. So yep. it didn't really matter. You know what I mean? So yeah. I got what I needed out of it and then kind of got into the the workforce doing uh, PHP stuff. And actually, like even uh, when I started there, uh, that's when I really like got seriously into Laravel stuff. We actually started using Laravel four on a client project while it, before it was officially released, when it was still like in a beta, uh, nice. which was cool. So that so I was getting uh, paid to write Laravel code at my very first programming job, which <laughs> that's was amazing, pretty neat. That's very cool. And who were who were the three? It was Chris and Grant, and who's the, the Chris third Grant and C- Corinne, who's like a, oh, she's okay. a product designer, and yeah. UX. Yeah. I didn't know she was uh, employee number one. I don't think she was employee number one. They kind of went through a couple different iterations of the company doing different stuff over time. But when I got there, it was the the three of them and they kind of had their thing figured out. So Very cool. All right. So story from there, you did a vehicle. So when did you start speaking? Was it the Laracon EU testing talk? Was that your first kind of big conference or... What was your speaking journey like? So the first talk that I ever gave was like an intro to Laravel talk at a meetup that we created so that I could give that hmm. talk, basically. Like that vehicle, <laughs> we created like the the Kitchener-Waterloo-Laravel meetup, which only survived like a few meetups because we also had like a, we had this like Guelph PHP user group, which 
yeah. half the time we would do in Kitchener anyways. And that eventually just became like, I eh, will just do everything there. Cause we meet up once a month there. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I gave a talk at that user group to about like 30 people or something, which was my first time doing any speaking like that. And I may have done another talk after that to like a local meetup, but yeah, the first conference talk I think was the community day at Laracon mm-hmm. EU 2015 or four, maybe 14. Yeah. And I did a I talk. I remember it, but I don't remember the year. So yeah. yeah, I did. I can't remember what the talk was called. TDD, the good parts, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then after that, I think I gave a talk at True North PHP and in Toronto at Chris Harches mm-hmm. and Peter Meth's conference. And um, yeah, from there, I just kind of got into it more and more. Once you kind of have one conference under your belt, it's a lot easier to get into the other ones, especially if you yeah. make the effort to get them filmed and post them online and be able to use that stuff to, to help show people, Hey, I, I can actually do this and it'll be fine. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. I, I'm a grown up. I can do a good job. Cool. Yeah. So at some point, you were using Laravel and you became more aware of some of the worlds around Laravel. You were looking into things in Rails. You were talking about Ruby some. Kind of what was that journey like from Laravel being the thing that you were spending all your time in to kind of expanding your exposure yeah. to the rest of the web, web web world, I guess? I can't say, I can't think of a specific, like I can't remember exactly how I heard about some of these other things. Because like I said, I, I only remember being in college and being like, well, PHP is what I use on the server. I didn't even know Rails right. existed. Like in some ways, in a lot of ways, I wish I had known because right. I probably would have never become a Laravel programmer. Not because like I don't have, I, I have anything against Laravel, but like throughout the years, it's become pretty clear that philosophically, I'm much more aligned with the way people think yeah. in kind of the Ruby world, right? So I was already kind of like, deep into the Laravel stuff and feeling like pretty fast and productive with it. And I'm sure all I was doing was poking around the internet, looking for tutorials, reading things about how to do this and that. And somewhere in there, mm-hmm. someone said, similar to how this works in Rails, blah, blah, you know what I mean? Like eventually you just kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah. S- start hearing about these start things. Hearing it, and yeah. and uh, the Laravel community was a lot less mature than it is now at that point. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the really good content that was out there was focused on rails like rails had like a, a big head mm-hmm. start on a lot of what we're doing in the laravel world like rails came out in like 2004 i think originally and there's blog posts written in like 2008 2009 that are still really useful blog yeah. posts for people writing laravel stuff now um mm-hmm. so it, it was actually really interesting for me to discover that kind of whole world because at the time, this was like 2013, 2014, when I was learning Laravel originally. Maybe, yeah, probably 2013. There was like eight years worth of high quality Rails content out there. Yeah, so if I could out just figure already. out how to translate the syntax from Ruby mm-hmm. to PHP, you know, there was all this content out there that can make me a better Laravel developer, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I got really, really deep into all that stuff. And that's when I discovered companies like ThoughtBot that had done tons Mm -hmm. of blogging and written books and put together video tutorials Um, or uh, Gary Bernhardt's Destroy All Software, which was all Mm -hmm. Rails stuff. There was just so much good stuff out there. And that's where I basically focused all all my learning at that point was taking everything that people had already, like I make this joke a lot of time that 
anytime like someone runs into a problem with Laravel, like a design decision where you're like, okay, well, what's the best way to do this in Laravel? Uh, take mm-hmm. like the current year, subtract four years, include that in your search <laughs> query and look for how to do that in Rails. And there will be like a high right. quality blog post out there. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I got really into just kind of researching what people were doing in these other ecosystems and, and finding out what made sense to, to try and port back and apply mm-hmm. to what we we're doing in PHP stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of been like my my shtick, I guess. I'm always looking yeah, yeah. outside my existing community to see. I think of myself as like Christopher Columbus, like going across the sea to the the foreign lands and bringing back uh, treasures for people. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so let's see. So you worked at Vehicle for a while. And do you know how big Vehicle was when you, you, when you left? So it was still actually just the, the four of us. Oh yeah, uh, when I okay. left, which was kind of like my motivation for for leaving, I was I still was really enjoying the work that I was doing there, but I had this like nagging feeling that I was missing out on the ability to grow faster by not being uh-huh. part of a bigger team where there was more uh not more experienced developers like developers with more experience, but just more developers more that were experienced. Yeah, yeah. Um, to to yeah. learn from right yeah and and that was kind of stressing me out at the time so i uh i ended up leaving to go work for a company that, that did rails mm-hmm. consulting but when i got there i got dumped onto a project doing uh c sharp and angular so yeah. i only stayed there for like three months because i wanted to blow my brains out <laughs> and um as soon like within the first week of working there i was like i can't believe i left my other job this sucks so bad yeah. And yeah. then after being there for a couple of months, uh, Titan, this company out of Chicago that does some uh, Laravel stuff, I don't know, pe- people might have heard of them, posted a job posting on uh, on the old Laravel job site. Yeah. And uh, I applied for that and uh, ended up going to work there for a while. So <laughs> I It's so weird because I've been trying to figure out how to ask you questions about that time. And it's really tough. I don't know how, but. Maybe I'll just try and throw a broad one at you and see if that goes somewhere. What was the area you grew in the most while you're working at Titan? I think that maybe be a question to start with. Hmm. That's a hard one. I can't think like exactly what that, I think like the, the biggest changes for me or the things that I had to figure out the most was like the remote working thing. That was mm-hmm. like a, a, a new thing for me and figuring out how to, how to like ask for help with things and, and get stuff done and get help from people in a way where like i'm just so used to i was just so used to working in an office where if you're frustrated with a problem like the people Mm -hmm. sitting around you can tell you know what i mean yeah 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 and uh and that's not as easy in a remote company so you you have to figure out ways to to manage that sort of thing especially when people are not always like available at the same time because everyone's Mm -hmm. kind of working like even though you have kind of standard ish hours there's still a lot of asynchronicity to it right everyone has different calendars with different things going on which is very different than being in an office yeah people have stuff scheduled and calls and stuff but you can like see when someone is yeah uh, available Mm -hmm. so figuring that out was probably that was probably the biggest change and uh area for me to kind of figure out how to work that way and um yeah yeah, it was a it was good though. I think uh the remote working setup is is the way to do it as long as you can make sure people are able to communicate when they need to communicate and and feel yeah. 
you have to be more deliberate about asking for help, which can be hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot. Like if you can just be frustrated and people can tell and people (laughs) offer to help, that's one thing. But sometimes it's like you feel like you have to ask for help every 15 minutes with something, especially when you're starting. Right. Yeah. And that can be like, there's like a a degree of shame or something like associated with that. That's, that's hard to get over. So we've been working. That's probably been the biggest uh, barrier with, bringing on juniors is that the combination of junior plus remote is really an extra level of plus shame. new job right which yeah, is yeah, hard yeah. even for like a new, experienced new, person yeah new job remote new tech i don't know what i'm doing everybody else here has got it and i'm asking for questions every 15 minutes i feel like i'm bothering people yeah it's definitely tough yeah so uh this is the last question i'll ask about your time at titan but one of the things that was really impactful from our perspective was that you had a lot of thoughts about how a company how a company should be run, and a lot of them came from watching Basecamp and Thoughtbot, um, and thinking about concepts that you've talked about in the podcast, and some of the times I've talked with you about on podcasts of so things like no estimates and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where there's a certain way of thinking. And I think that Dan and I say often that your time at Titan was really impactful in terms of just kind of like sharing those things with us. But it wasn't always just as easy as Adam comes in and teaches something. Often it happened in the, the context of, you know, there was a, that's not necessarily always a conflict, but it was sort of like a, well, why is it not happening this way? And we'd be like, oh, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out. So I, I was wondering, during your time at Titan, do you feel like you learned anything about what you wanted to kind of do when you grew up kind of vibe in terms of teaching or were there things that you learned about how you think software should be written or something that happened in the context of those those learning moments and those conflicts and everything that we had during those times yeah um trying to think if there's anything specific i can take away as like Mm -hmm. a learning and if not no worries i'll just yeah I, i think like i mean i what i liked working on the most at titan was like being able to create projects for companies right build stuff for for other people i think if anything what i maybe took away is that what's the best way to say this i like having control i guess of like my own destiny Mm -hmm. in that in Mm -hmm. that sense because working with companies to build new projects for them there's like this of course this whole layer of stuff that comes with that that isn't there when you're just building something yep. for yourself, of course, right? Yeah. And it can be a real challenge sometimes to get people on board with building something in a way that is in their best interests, even though they might not understand why or agree yeah. why. And that that's just mm-hmm. like a whole thing that you have to figure out how to navigate that can like just get in the way of what you want to do, which is just like creating the best thing for solving yeah. their problem for them, right? Yeah. So I think like being able to get into what I'm doing now where I get to like create training stuff and stuff like that has been a nice change in that sense because it lets me focus on just doing creating the thing that I want to create. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, like I, th- I think like a lot of the the reason that I, I cared so much at Titan and, and everywhere I've worked about like how to kind of try and run these projects successfully is mm-hmm. For that same reason, because like I just want to make the great project, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think everyone is is on the same page there, right? Like, I, like you want to figure out a way to navigate the other stuff and minimize it so that you can just focus on on doing the work. Uh, mm-hmm. But because I I just care so much about doing the work, and that's what I want to do, that it kind of pulls me down this path of figuring out like, okay, what is stopping us from being able to just do the work, and yeah. what ideas 
are out there in the world that people have that can help us focus on help us on just doing yeah. the work for people. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that really answers your question in terms of, I guess, like specific kind of learnings or, or takeaways, but uh, yeah. in, in terms of, you know, that sort of project management side of things, I think that's sort of like where my motivations at least come from to care about that yeah. stuff. Well, it's funny because you say everyone feels that way. And of course, everyone, you know, hopefully wants to really do a good job for the, for the client. But it also reflects a little bit of back on what we we're talking about earlier about you love doing things to the best they can possibly be done. It's not just your things. You know, it's also other people's things. Like every project you're, you have a hand in, you want it to be the best possible thing. And, and if there's stuff getting in the way of that, well, then that's stuff that you need to, to kind of shave off so that it can yeah. just be <laughs> the optimal delivery. So I totally hear that. And that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for uh, answering that kind of convoluted question. So. The transition from there was it was during your time there that you, you know, you wrote your book and you released it and you were able to transition it to be doing your own educational stuff full time. So in terms of that switch, what when when and what was the process like for you to start thinking, you know what, working at somebody else's consultancy may just not end up being the thing for me and I want to try info products or I want to try my own products or something like that. Like what was that journey like for you? Yeah, so I think for me, what really happened there is I put together this book and released it. I didn't really have crazy expectations for it or anything mm -hmm. like that. Again, it was just one of those things where I've always just really liked making polished things that are finished that mm -hmm. you can look at and be like, this is done and this is tidy and th and this feels nice. Yeah. And I used to do that with, with even like trying to like contribute tutorials to game facts and stuff back in the day. Yeah, I never yeah. got anything on there, but I would just like agonize over like making some sweet, like ASCII art title at the top of these like <laughs> stupid uh, plain text files. And I just wanted like it to feel like a polished thing. Right. So that was mm -hmm. kind of like my, one, one of my biggest motivations for like, for making the book was, First of all, I've always been interested in like creating something and selling it and seeing like what it's like to make your own yeah. money on the internet sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I also just like, it's hard to like think back to it now because I have a few products now, but back, yeah. back then I kind of felt like I just, I never got to finish anything, if that makes sense. Yeah. And this is yeah, like a definitely. common thing that I think like agencies deal with a lot in general, right? Is you, you get to work with a client, um, you do a lot of really great work for them, but you're not necessarily like always around till the end of the project because maybe eventually they hire their own team, which is yep. like one of their mm -hmm. goals from the beginning, right? They're trying to get like a head start on something so that once they have a little bit of traction, they can build their own team around it because of course that's the yep. more economical way to handle that. Or the other end of the spectrum is you start working on a project for someone and it turns out that they just aren't able to to hold up their end of the bargain really and the project yep. is just not going to work out and you do work for them for mm -hmm. six weeks and then they realize like you know what i'm i'm never going to be able to make an app company properly yeah. so you kind of just say okay thanks for your work you did a great job but like that's the end of the project like mm -hmm. i've worked on so many projects that never even went to production you know yeah or got mm -hmm. any users or anything like that and that that's kind of like a at the time, that was kind of like, I just want to finish something. I just want to have something that's done. Yeah. I did that with yeah. like my nitpick, too, that little yep, SaaS app thing that I built. And the whole goal there was just the same thing. Like, I want to build an app till it's done and put it out yep. on the internet. And yep. that was just like a cool feeling. So I did the same thing with the book. And then the book ended up being, you know, pretty successful. And before I worked on that book, I had the idea all along that what I really wanted to do was some sort of testing thing, like some TDD okay. book or course or something. But it was just like, sounded like so daunting. It just sounded like a big project. Yeah. So 
I found I got I stumbled on this idea to do the collections thing, and that seems so much more manageable. Um, yeah. So once I had finished that, and you know it, it was pretty successful, I thought, you know what, like if I want to do this like testing product, this is the best possible chance that I'm going to have to be able yeah. to spend the time on that because the book did well enough that like I can take six months off and focus on this thing. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what, I'm not going to get a chance like this again. If I don't do it now, then this money is just going to like go yep. into an RSP or something. And it's just going to, yeah, of course that's good. I should have money saved away for retirement. Right, right. I'm not going to like, it's not going to change my life in any way. I'm just going to keep doing the exact same thing that yep. I'm doing. The book's going to be out there, but I'm not like seizing the moment to use it as an opportunity to mm-hmm. try something. So I thought, you know what, this is like the only chance that I'm going to get to probably do this. So why yeah. don't I try it out? So that's when I decided to move on to trying to just do something for myself and see how it panned out. And I did the the testing course, uh, which was way bigger than I even was worried about it being originally. So it's yeah. a good thing that I didn't try and put it together when I was still working. Uh, but that, yeah. you know, did really well uh, too. And that's been able to let me focus on continuing to do to do more stuff like that i'm always able to stay just like a little bit enough of ahead of where i need yeah. to be that i i have some time to figure out what the next thing is going to be you know i'm yeah, just like yeah. kind of like building the bridge as i try and cross <laughs> the river but yeah um, <laughs> that's awesome yeah. i remember one of the things that you said when you let us know that you were going to be going off to do thing full time you said you know i don't know how this is going to work out but i know that you know, if it totally flops in six months, I can apply to one of myriad programming jobs. But if I don't try this, it's there's no guarantee I'll ever have this chance ever again where there's the traction for my book and I have enough money to kind of try this thing. And so I got to at least try it. And that really that really stuck with me, just the idea that like, and, and I mean, I've, I've had that happen where I've had an influx of cash and it just kind of goes in and spreads out across retirement savings and health expenses and whatever else and your life is exactly the same even though you put all that work into it and so that idea of those are those moments and it's scary but like let's what's the worst thing that's going to happen i'll use up all the money and then apply for a job in the other end you you know i'm i'm a little less stable because i'll have to be applying for a job versus having one settled but there's no guarantee that your job's not going to shut down the next day you know so like the idea that oh well everything's perfect now i'll be putting no no you know, I really love that kind of thinking. And obviously, at least so far, it's working out really well for you. Um, so I'm hoping that's an inspiration for other people to kind of consider taking some of those leaps. I would love to ask you a million questions about how you think about um, product and stuff like that. But we're longer than usual. And thankfully, other people have uh, have asked you that on their podcast. So I'm going to try and link some of your stuff with Justin Jackson and some other people. Also, Full Stack Radio, even though it's you interviewing other people, you, you do learn about a lot about the interviewer um, by the questions they ask. So all this super interesting stuff that we don't have time for, I hope that we'll be able to, um, people will be able to kind of suss that information out anywhere else. But I think one of the things I, I we have not talked about, so every time I'm going to be interviewing somebody in the Laravel podcast, I go into Slack, um, to Titan Slack, and I say, I'm about to interview this person, and I'm actually opening my Slack right now to make sure that new questions, yep, a couple new questions came in, and I say, are there any particular questions that y'all want to ask them? And so I asked that question in um, Titan Slack, which is kind of funny because you're, you know, you, you are still in some of our Slacks and you used to work there, but there's still some questions. So the first question came up for you is, do you even lift, bro? Um, which first of all is fantastic but second of all in our slack that actually triggers a gif of you (laughs) doing a lift so it was perfect so we haven't gotten to talk about that at all 
Um, yeah. You tell where did that fit in your whole world? Can you tell everybody a little yeah. bit about kind of that part of your life? Yeah. So when I was working up in Fort McMurray in Alberta, I've always been kind of like an overweight kid. Same. And like most people, like you just want to look better, right? So when yeah. I was working up there, you're just like so bored and you're not using your willpower for basically anything else yeah. that it was like an opportunity to finally try and do that seriously, right? It's actually funny because if you follow along with like um, the bootstrapped podcast, like Ian and Andre, Andre is kind of mm -hmm. doing the same sort of thing. Like he decided to basically take off some time during the year from from any really like mentally sort of straining work like i think he's just mostly mm -hmm. focused on like doing some consulting stuff and i'm not even sure if he's working the same amount of hours and stuff that he was doing normally but he decided like you know i want to take this this opportunity with this kind of like reserve of like mental energy that i have and like focus that yeah. into some like really life-changing thing which for him was like getting in shape right yeah and it's funny because i never really thought about it that way but when i i heard him phrase it that way it's like you know what that's exactly like why i was able to do it originally yeah is because i just didn't have anything else pulling at my brain so when you're going to make dinner or you're even going out for dinner with your friends it's easy to order the vegetables instead of the fries because like i just haven't used any of that brain power uh-huh <laughs> you know what i mean yeah um so when i was working out there i just it was easier for me to start eating a lot better and get into like home workouts and stuff like that. And that led me down yeah. this whole path of eventually discovering like strength training pro tip. If you're a programmer who wants to like start exercising, the terms that you should be Googling are strength training. That, that mm. is the term that's going to find you at least, in, at least I think is going to find you the stuff that's going to resonate most with how your brain works in terms of okay. things being really measurable and uh, being able to like science the shit out of everything <laughs> with lots of percentages and math. Um, but eventually, huh. like I kind of stumbled onto to uh, to this like form of exercise where you're just focusing on like lots of really high bang for your buck compound exercises, like multi-joint movements, like squats and deadlifts and bench press and overhead press and chin-ups and barbell rows and stuff like that. And uh, all once I finally found like the good stuff online, which uh -huh. was like Mark Ripito's content and stuff like that, you learn like what you should be doing is progressively trying to increase the weight that you're lifting. Like a lot of people just go to the gym and they just like pick whatever th they think is going to be like a good weight to lift that day and just do it or whatever. Yeah. But they're not actually like tr tracking their progress. So they don't really make progress. But if you Got can it. develop like a plan where you know like, okay, this week, this is what I'm lifting. Next week, I have to try and lift this. And it goes up and up and up. For me, that's what like what like, was able to keep me like kind of motivated because I was seeing progress on on paper because seeing progress in the mirror is a lot harder. It takes a lot longer yeah, and yeah. it's a lot more subtle and gradual. And if you're not taking like yeah. pictures of yourself topless in the mirror every week to like compare like, okay, do I actually look like I'm getting in better shape? Um, but if you're just like logging stuff in a notebook, it's easy to say like, okay, I bench pressed 185 for six reps last week and this week i did it for eight reps that's pretty cool yeah so i kind of got into this whole thing of of getting stronger and lifting and um eventually started competing in powerlifting competitions because like with everything i do i have to take it to the extreme um <laughs> so what turned in out what turned what started as like 185 pound like skinny fat kid trying to like look better without a shirt off uh -huh. Turned into like a 260 pound dude deadlifting 600 pounds and winning 
national <laughs> powerlifting gold medals. So yeah, um, that was just something you know. I would still be doing that, but I, I it's a hard. Once you get there's like a point of diminishing returns, which I think I definitely yeah, hit, yeah. where you're just more likely to get injured than you yep. are to make progress. And yeah. I've hurt myself a couple of times and I have a nagging back injury now that doesn't bother me day to day. But anytime I get back into lifting, no matter how uh, light I start after a couple of weeks, I do one rep, not 100 percent perfect. And uh, my back is messed up for a week. It's really frustrating. Oh, but um, geez. So it's hard for me to really stay motivated into it these days because the thing that kept me going was like getting stronger. Um, so yeah. going to the gym to lift less than I did before is like, yeah. whatever. I still need to get back, back into it more, but, uh, yeah, that was a big thing for me for, for a while. <laughs> it's funny because as you were saying that a light was going off in my head, I switched to a new trainer about four months ago and it was the first time the trainer has been trying to teach me the skills to be able to, to stop working with him versus just kind of like, giving himself job security by just kind of telling me what to yeah. do. And he's a Mark Repito guy and uh, he just moved to Chicago or he's moving to Chicago this weekend. And so he's like, here's everything I know. And he set me up in this thing called, have you ever heard of the five, three, one? Yep. That's what I always used to do. Jim Wendler. So th that's, so that's literally what I'm, I started it this week at the, at the new gym with on yeah. my own. And I've got a five, three, one calculator. I plug that's all my awesome. information in. Dude, it's amazing. Jim Wendler is like, he's the DHH of weightlifting. Yeah. Like he's just got that same like everyone overcomplicates things attitude. Yeah, like, yeah. There's this quote that I so this is so funny because like so many people who get into powerlifting are like super nerds about this stuff, right? Like the the amount of like just nerds that get into this stuff is outrageous. Yeah. Just because of the fact that you get to make spreadsheets, you get to calculate like your estimated one rep max based yeah. on how many reps you lifted this way, whatever. And uh I, I'll never forget this like there's like a FAQ section in one of Jim Wendler's books where someone asks a question. It's like, what is the best? What is, I can't remember exactly how it's phrased, but basically the question is like, what incline should I be using on like the incline bench? Should it be like a 70 degree incline or a 45 degree incline uh -huh. or a 40 degree incline? Like what one's going to get me the best results? And Jim Wendler's answer is the best incline is whatever the incline is on the bench <laughs> at your gym. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it just, just doesn't do it. matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so awesome. it's just like, his stuff like really resonated with me because it's just like such no bullshit sort of attitude yeah, towards yeah. this stuff. Uh, but it, it yeah. totally, it totally works too. So well, that's encouraging me. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I'm excited that you're doing that. <laughs> oh, it's so, I'm so psyched about this and, and the way you're describing exactly what's compelling about it. And I'll link this in the show notes, but my trainer gave me this thing where you literally just like plug, it's a giant JavaScript page and you just yeah. plug in your one rep maxes for the four main movements. So the bench press, overhead press, squat deadlift, deadlift and squats. Yeah. And then it, it just says, here's what to do for the next four yeah. weeks. So week and that's, one, and you do this week two and then, yeah. Yeah. And then you put in like, how many reps did you get on your last set? It'll like calculate yep. your estimated one rep max. And for me, that was the key because basically there's this formula that Jim Wendler gives you, which I think is like weight times reps divided by 30 plus weight, which is not accurate in the sense of like it doesn't properly model how the number of reps you lift with the weight like mm -hmm. compares to what, like your one rep max would be but it's like an approximation that's close enough even though at certain extremes it's like the curve like breaks down we're like oh now you're weaker because right. you lifted more like it just doesn't make sense but in like right. the actual the vast majority you, of yeah, yeah. It, it's good enough right but that was perfect because every week you'd be lifting different weights for different reps but you always had yep. this like you could reduce it down to one number to compare like different yeah, completely yeah. different workouts. 
So if you bench 185 for like 10 reps or whatever, that's 185 times 10 divided by 30 plus 185. That's you have a 247 pound one rep max, whatever. So now you yeah. can compare that with lifting and just 205 see those numbers for go up. seven. Yeah. And you can see which one is better. And as yeah. And even though the workouts are different every week, you can just see over time, okay, like this number is continuing to go up. Sometimes it maybe it dips down, but overall, like the progress is there and that's like a really good way to stay kind of motivated. So yeah, I, I, I love that there's a lot of really great apps that, that help you track your weight and you see how those things go up and down over time. But like you said, so many other things, it's really hard to just get like a single fixed point that you can track over time. And yeah, I was just talking with Logan this morning. I was telling him about Logan who works at Titan. I was like, Oh, I'm doing this. He's like, well, why don't you post your one rep maxes every week in, you know, our, there's a channel at, um, at Titan called discuss gains. And he's like, why don't you post it in there so yeah. that we can all kind of see it go up. I was like, Oh yeah, this is, that is so a big motivator. I'll, I give, you, about it, so. I'll give you a, an insider tip if you're looking for i don't know uh if this site ever really got popular but there's a site called weightxreps.net which is like a site for for people to manage kind of their their weightlifting or powerlifting strength training uh wow. training journals and the thing huh. that's sick about this site is that you log your workouts in like a custom version of markdown huh and it <laughs> and it does all the calculations for you and stuff like that wow yeah it's pretty cool all right all this is going in the show notes, folks. I'm sorry if all y'all don't care about this, but I do. So we're, we're talking <laughs> about it. This is amazing. Oh, this is super cool. Okay. All right. So sorry. We're super past time, but I have to at least get one or one or two more of these questions in yeah. here. Um, all right. I'm going to give... All right. the What inspires you to keep learning? I don't know that... I think it's just an intrinsic motivation. I think I mm-hmm. just... When I find some new thing that I don't know enough about, but I'm passionate about it, then I will figure it out till its end. Mm -hmm. Like that is just my kind of nature. And then I'll probably move on to something else after that. Yeah. So I don't think like I have any like hacks or anything to help people kind of stay inspired to, to keep learning for me. For me, a lot of it is like, I like to make stuff. So you try and make something you've, hit a problem you figure out how to solve it it. and i try not to take take shortcuts on on things either i think um i think sometimes i think it's worth like clarifying this in some ways because i i I listen to like all justin jackson's podcasts and sometimes justin jackson will bring me up as an example of something which is flattering but he'll always say like what i like Mm -hmm. about adam is that whenever he like finds a hard problem like he doesn't like figure out a workaround or anything like that he'll just like drill through the problem until it's solved and i think that can be misinterpreted a lot of times to sound like you always want to make things perfect and make everything you know like unnecessarily perfect like you can solve the problem this other way but you're you're Mm -hmm. going to like solve it the hard way for whatever reason which i think is not i think there's a lot of valid situations where you can like judo a problem like i actually take a lot of pride like base camp uses this term i don't know if other people use it but i think that's where i first saw it they talk mm-hmm. about like trying to judo a problem which is just they have some problem that they need to solve they try and figure out a way like how can we just like make this problem not exist so we don't have to solve it you know Got what it, i mean yeah. yeah um which i think is a, a really valuable skill and something yeah. that like i take pride in a lot just trying to figure out ways like okay i can't figure this out how can i just make it not exist by solving yeah. something at like a different place or, exactly. or whatever, which I think is a really good thing to do, but I'm not willing to like make compromises on things where 
it feels like I'm like putting a bandaid on something. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. the analogy to me is like, okay, there's a hole in your roof. Like you could either fix the hole or we could just put a bucket there and we have to empty the bucket every day. But yeah. like, that's fine. The floor doesn't get wet. So the problem is solved, right? Like to me, I don't yeah. think of that problem as being solved. Yeah, um, totally agreed. So I can't think of a specific programming analogy necessarily, mm-hmm. but like, I just, I, I hate workarounds. I hate things that feel like Band-Aid fixes. Yeah. I, I, that doesn't mean I that you're not going to understand something problem. at its like core level. Yeah. Yeah. You may, you may end up making the problem go away or you, you may end up, you know, picking the, the faster fix. But it's it's that you want to actually fix it and you want to learn how to actually fix it. Yeah. All right. One last question, which is if you could give everyone you meet one book to read, what book would it be? Every single person, like not necessarily programmers. I was wondering the same question. Answer it either way you'd prefer. Hmm. So I'm trying to think if I have any books that like I'm sure there's a book that I'm I'm just like blanking on that I think is like just a good book for everyone to read in the world mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> but and i'm probably think about it after the fact be like duh that's yeah, what yeah. i should have said um, <laughs> if you do i'll put it in the show notes afterwards you can message it to me i will say from like a a programmer's point of view i think the book that the book that really got me started on the right path to learning to to program properly and and i think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably are already in the right place but i think it's still worth reading for me when i was in college and learning to program in general the whole idea of like design in terms of like mm-hmm. well architected code was just like a concept i didn't even know existed you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i just yeah there's like code and you write it and you make it solve a problem and like yes like some solutions are like more elegant than than others i guess but i never really thought of this this like community that exists around like design in code yeah and it wasn't until i read this book called agile practices patterns and principles in c sharp which is like the c sharp version of the original book which is written in java but that's by uncle bob and and it's there's a lot of stuff in there that i think is like that i probably wouldn't i don't know how to say it it's like it's one of those things where like you have to like learn the rules to like know how to break the rules and like you can get deep into that book and kind of like get too hung up on this mentality of dependency inject this interface that whatever Mm -hmm. like that it it will make you that way at first but a lot of people need like everyone needs to go through that phase but that was the book that i read that like i remember working a part-time job at a warehouse at a retail store and i would be like finding every opportunity i could to like hide in the corner somewhere with my phone (laughs) to just like read more pages of this book because it was just like opening my eyes to like so many concepts about writing code that i just like wasn't familiar with at all or didn't know existed so that book really got me started on the right path to even understanding like what information to look for on the internet Mm -hmm. about like becoming a better programmer so i think uh from a programming perspective that would be that would be the game changing one although it might not be my my favorite book anymore that's the one that i'll always remember as having a really special sort of place in my heart yeah, I'll keep yeah. thinking on like the non-programming, non-programming stuff in case I can come up with something good. And maybe we can add it as an addendum to the the show notes or something. Yeah, for sure. But, um, well, oh God, yeah, I'm just gonna say it. I could talk for hours. There's so many more things we could talk about, <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna hit it's we're in an hour and ten minutes. 
<laughs> try to cut them to 45 minutes. So we're going to call it a day. So so first of all, actually, before I, t- I talk about how people can follow you, is there anything you wanted to talk about or you kind of wish that people knew about you or parts of your story or your background that we didn't get a chance to cover you want to talk about? I don't think so. I think we... Uh... We talked about basically basically everything. So okay. So if people want to follow you, or if they don't already own all of your products, which they should, or <laughs> anything else, where, where do they find you? What what do you plug in these days? You know that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm uh, Adam Wathen on Twitter. That's kind of where I hang out the most. I I have a website at adamwathen.me that I don't do enough stuff on, but I do have a lot of stuff <laughs> there to look through. Um. The most recent thing I did is I I put out a a course on advanced view component design, which is kind of like we talked about earlier with like the Rails and Laravel stuff is Mm -hmm. me figuring out what people are doing in React, the really interesting React stuff, and basically bringing some of that stuff back to the the view community and showing people how you can do that stuff. Um, So check that out if, if you're interested in that. And aside from that, uh, what what can I say? I mean, I'm doing a lot of Tailwind CSS related work these days. It's kind of like my big open source project that I'm I'm yeah. working on. Me and Steve Shoger have something pretty exciting in the works around the uh, the refactoring UI content that that yeah. we've been doing. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably about it. Check out my podcast, Full Stack Radio, if you want to listen to me interviewing people to help solve some of these problems I've been solving trying to solve over the years i've said it before in other places but the whole reason i started that podcast was an, as an excuse to ask <laughs> ryan singer questions because it seemed yeah. weird to email him and be like will you uh answer some questions <laughs> over skype but if i say will you be a guest on my podcast well that's a different yeah totally different question different thing. Yeah. so that's kind of like the whole motivation there is uh that's just <laughs> you can definitely go through the history episodes and figure out like what problems i'm trying to solve at the time oh yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, check that out if you're interested in some deep dives into some different technical stuff but uh yeah i think that's it okay adam dude it, it was a total pleasure i love getting to hang with you anytime but this was especially fun getting to talk about your your history and kind of share with everyone so thank you so much for your time and thank you for all the things you do for the laravel community thank you man it's been an absolute pleasure being on and uh yeah, thanks for all you do with this podcast. It's a really fun one to listen to. It's really cool to hear uh, people's stories. I, I always see episodes pop up, and I kind of think at like a surface level, like this doesn't look interesting to me, but I'm going to force myself to listen to it anyways <laughs> because I know by the time I'm done or even when I'm halfway through, I'm just going to be like, wow, this is like captivating. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's been that way for every single one I've listened to. So yeah, if anyone hasn't listened to some of the the older episodes because maybe they're with people that you haven't heard of and don't think you're going to be interested in, definitely listen to them because people have yeah. really, really just fascinating and incredible stories to share. And Matt does an awesome job of bringing them out. So definitely check Thanks, it out. Man. Yeah, people are fascinating. All right, man. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, man. All right. All right.